Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Wow. Today we bring you Brett Putter, a remote culture expert and author of a recently published book, Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture. Here's a five-star review on Amazon of this new book. Quote, considering the dramatic changes in the way we work that's been brought about by the pandemic, this is probably the most important business book you will read this year. End quote. In today's podcast, Brett unleashes the secrets that he uncovered by interviewing 50 CEOs of the best global companies that have learned how to strengthen their culture, their vision, their values, and their mission in the new virtual and hybrid world of work. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm Mitch Simon, your co-host on the West Coast, and we've got Ginny Mathis, your co-host on the East Coast. And today, we are excited to have Brett Putter. Brett is the CEO of Culture Gene, a culture leadership software and services platform. He's a great author. In 2018, he published his first book, Culture Decks Decoded, and his second book, Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture. Great. So welcome, Brett. How are you? Mitch, um, I'm very good, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me bo- to both of you on, on the show. Really looking forward to it and excited to, to dig into this virtual world that we're living in. Yeah, yeah, and we're totally excited to have you on as well. Um, I was just saying before the call, when we started Team Anywhere, we we really didn't expect to have so many people from all over the world. What's really cool is, uh, so Brett is from South Africa. He used to live in England, and now he's in Portugal. So, um, And he's in total lockdown, which is really kind of interesting because oh. in California, we're actually kind of coming out of it. Um, and Brett's locked down in Portugal, but I guess there could be worse places to be locked down in. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. So what I'd like to know, first question is like, what have you learned about yourself, Brett, over the last 12 months? Um, I've learned, I'm hoping that I've learned to be a better father and a more supportive husband. Um, I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And um, I think I've, be, well, I've definitely been um, more engaged and um, with my wife, who is just frankly a saint because I do what she does, um, I just try to be more and more supportive. And uh, we just literally 15 minutes ago, my son, the one-year-old, decided that he didn't want to go to the park after my daughter and my wife had decided to go to the park. And so there's been meltdown and I just don't know how she does it. So I've got a, I'm priming up a glass of wine for after this call, after this podcast, so that she and I can just hopefully find 30 seconds to relax, connect, and say hi, because she really is quite on the edge today. 
That's great. Yeah. So she does it because she's a saint. It's obvious. Yeah, she she married, exactly. She married a saint. Exactly. That's what happened. I really yeah. don't know how, how she does it. But yeah, I've, I've, it's really been quite an introspective period for me because I, you know, I'm quite an outgoing person. I'm at networking all the time. I'm out, you know, meeting people, greeting people. And so having this time at home has been very introspective and valuable. So uh, yeah, I'm, I, I've learned and I'm learning. Great. So, um, you know, one of the reasons why we were really excited to connect to you on, on our podcast is it says that you've spoken to 50 executives of office-based hybrid and remote companies. And um, we're really, really interested in, in how did you find those 50 executives um, so that you could actually learn more about this whole new space? So I was... Um... This, there's actually quite a shocking statistic in, in this. Um, I, I'm very well networked in the UK and European uh, tech scene. So I re- reached out to my network and I said, I'm, I'm dying to interview people who have built a strong culture. Who can you interview me, introduce me to? And I was introduced to, for argument, let's say, let's say, speak to Jack. Jack's got a great culture, great team. And I go to Jack and I talk to Jack and, you know, how's it going? Da, 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 and then you know, tell me about your culture values and mission and vision, yes. And then as soon as we started going a little bit deeper into the onion of how they're embedding it, how they're integrating it, what the leadership team are doing around it, that's when this conversation started to to sort of flake off a little bit. And what I found is I had to speak to over 500 companies to get to be able to interview just over 50 CEOs that had done a really good job of embedding their culture on a leadership, a functional, and a process level into the organization. And so that that really was the first thing, the realization for me of, wow, there are 90, 90% of businesses have not done a good job of defining their culture. And so how did you, how did you know, um, like, how did you know, did it, was it pretty quick that you figured out that this was a, a company that really lived their culture? Like, what were some of the markers that, that really checked the boxes there? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I'd, I'd structured my questions around the, sort of the top layer of the onion is, you know, what type, of, what type of a leader are you? And then tell me about your values, how you define them. Tell me about your mission and vision, if you have both or one or the other, um, how you define them. And let's talk about that a little bit for a little bit. And then, then I'd ask, um, how, do you, how do you recruit um, against your against the, the you know a fit with your values, and most people didn't. They spoke about culture fit, but if I asked them, if I asked them what is what exactly, to, uh, please describe your culture accurately to me, they couldn't. So actually, they weren't hiring against culture fit because culture fit really is all about gut instinct and intuition, which is not scalable and it's fundamentally biased. And then we'd go down to, okay, so how do your leadership team, do you have a framework for your leadership team to think about the decisions they make based on the culture? And the answer was no. Have you embedded it into the processes? And the answer was no. So that's when the conversation stopped in most cases. So as soon as we got to the leadership team, it started to get a little bit wobbly. And then as we got deeper and deeper and deeper into the onion, it got really wobbly. And, and it, it, I'd... I'd sort of in the research I'd done and in in the, the, the companies that I looked at, I realized that the companies that do this really well 
Treat it like a function. So you've got to have it embedded into the organization in, in a way that you, can, that you can really pull the levers when you need to. Can you, Brett, this is wonderful and to, to hear where the conversation broke, broke down. Now let's look at the ones where it didn't break down. What, what were they able to share where you said, all right, now I'm hitting pay dirt? <laughs> So, so the, the, the pay dirt came from, um, there's a, a, he's no longer the CEO. He's, um, he run the, ran the business, I think, for about 10 years. But there's a guy named Nicholas Design. And Nicholas founded Algolia, which is a unicorn uh, search engine technology business for enterprise customers. And Nicholas and I had an, had a, had an hour conversation and then had another hour and a half conversation and we could have had another hour and a half conversation. Wow. But I actually, and actually what was beautiful about the companies and leaders that had really done a, a lot of thinking about this is their willingness to pay it forward and give was immense. So this happened with a guy named Mark Organ, who's the CEO of Influitive. Mark gave me an hour and a half and then another, another hour and a half. And he said, if you want more, you, you just, just let me know. And I just felt rude, actually, eventually. <laughs> Taking up the CEO's time, because if you give me that time, I will take it all. I'm just a sponge. You know, I just want to learn. Yeah. So that was the first thing was just the, the pay it forward. But, but it was it was going into the amount of detail that they would go into about how they structured initiatives around their values and how they, you know, they, they so Mark, Mark, for example, in his second second business, one of his co-founders, and he had a falling out very early on about the values. So Mark bought the co-founder out mm-hmm. and then had a re-evaluation of all the values with the small team they had. And now whenever they lose a VP level or higher can, a, a, a individual, they, re, re, they re-evaluate the values against that person and that behavior. So you can see how, they, how he learned, first of all, and then integrated that into the way the company works. Excellent example. So, yeah. Can you give a couple of more, Brett? So, for example, uh, we had this initiative, and here's how we made sure uh, we built the structure uh, around our culture and values. Sure. So, there's um, the, the, what was also very uh, striking for me about the CEOs who had done this well, who'd embedded their culture well, was how um, humble and uh, honest and um, open to talking about their failures, they uh-huh. their mistakes. And so there's a guy named Martin Ruring, who's the uh, CEO of a company called Gideon in, in, the, in the Netherlands. And, and get, one of their uh, values is transparency. And he was asked after a, um, just, it was a literally casual conversation. One of his, one of his team asked him, Said Martin, you know, you you and the management team have a meeting on Mondays. What do you actually? What do you talk about? What do you do in that management team meeting? <laughs> yeah, and and it wasn't. It really wasn't a loaded question. But Martin inter- looked at it and thought, Oh my God! If we're being transparent and they don't know in the rest of the company what we're doing and saying in the management team, that's just behaving in exactly the opposite way. And this happens all the time in companies. The leadership say one thing and then they behave in a different way. Right. They don't live their values. So Martin said, that's such a good question. Can I ask you to come in and sit on the next six months of management meetings 
The only requirement is that you write up a summary of the decisions we take and you share that with the entire company. Fabulous. And he did that every six months. So every six months, there would be a new person who would come in and listen and learn and, and would be asked for you know, comments, their thoughts, you know, if, if necessary. And in my book, Own Your Culture, there are literally hundreds of these examples because I took all of the examples from the interviews and built them into the framework. Um, and I can, I, can go, I can go on and on and on. There's a, one of the um, uh, CEOs is a, a lady named Alethea Navarro from Skimlinks. Alethea w- was always very family-oriented and actually just had this knack a- around company culture. So when they had enough money ultimately to s- create a really nice office, she put the kitchen in the center of the office and put a toaster in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Because if you work, if you walk, if, if you come downstairs or you walk into the kitchen at home and you smell toast, it feels homely. It feels family-like. You feel warm and fuzzy inside. Right. She, she wanted that experience for her office. So just these little that. things that people think about. So, yeah, there are tons of examples of, of companies doing great stuff. So I'd love, um, I'd love for us to uh, shift a little bit. Um, into what did you see in the area of virtual and hybrid companies in embedding the culture? Because that, again, uh, this is, again, one of our biggest questions that Ginny and I had when we started this podcast is, how do you create culture in a virtual environment? How do you make it different for your employees to work for your company versus another company when, in fact, they are, for the most part, working from their house? Uh, so that's a great question. And I, so how I came to get my head around this remote working virtual world um, is I, 18 months ago, I started building some software that replicates my process. And I, I did this process in person. And I was actually approached by two remote companies. Um, and I did some work with, with one of them. And I realized it wasn't optimal because obviously they're out there. And my in-person uh, capabilities were not great where people are not in the same room and we weren't all using Zoom at the time. So I built some software to replicate my process, which is what I use now. And the um, about 13 months ago now, I decided I would study remote work companies because I was building software for them. And I looked at GitLab, GitHub, Buffer, um, Automatic, Zapier, TopTel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I found that the first thing to realize is that the the company the the, pe- the companies that are that were built in an office based environment could be lazy about their culture because the office did it for them. Mm-hmm. Remote leaders couldn't, and remote leaders had to be deliberate about culture from day one because there was no office giving them osmosis, which is which is what companies relied on, the casual conversations, the the bump into moments, the sitting and listening into a conversation at lunchtime or going for a coffee, being in the visibility and availability. Remote companies just don't have that. So if you if you look at what remote companies do, they first of all are very deliberate about their values, their mission and their vision. And they over communicate them. They're because 
people need to hear this more in a remote environment because they're not bumping into you and listening to you in your, you know, in, in a, in, they're not seeing you as a leader who has, you know, you, you, you're thinking about the vision and mission and values on a regular basis and you're probably mentioning it and talking about it in the office. Whereas now you, you're Zoom, it's one-to-one, one, not one-to-many not, not one as often. So the first element was really I realized that, you know, David Darman and the CEO of Hotjar, he, he over-communicates and over-communicated all the time. And he found different ways to say the same thing about culture or about the values or about something important in the organization. So he may say it to everybody in the, 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 the weekly all hands, but he would write about it in an email to a group of people. He may then say it again to another group of people in a slightly different way, just so that the repetition lands. Because what's happening in this environment is we're not engaged in the same right. way. We, we, there's you know, the one-year-old screaming, I'm thinking about that. The you know the bell doorbell just rang. I'm wondering about that. Oh, there's a Skype or a Slack message. I'm wondering about <laughs> that. You know, and what did you say? You're my CEO, are you? And I'm talking to you, and you. And no, I'm not listening. Okay, let me try. Oh, and fabulous example. Yeah. You know, let me try and reconnect. And whatever he, whatever she said has gone over my head now, or through my head. So, so that 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 was the first thing. The second thing that I I I realized is they remote companies over-index in nine areas. They have nine areas where they best practice on. And it starts with culture, where they are deliberate about culture. And they, they, they really, really hammer it down. The second area that they focus on is communication. So they, they focus on asynchronous communication. We're designed as human beings for synchronicity. But actually, synchronicity is hard work, and it means we can't do work. I can't do work when I'm talking to you, although this is part of my work. I can't write a document, or I can't actually you know, respond to an email. So, so this requires presence and availability, whereas asynchronous communication requires I will get back to it when I can or when I think I need to. And so they design their businesses around asynchronous communication and then build communication architectures around that. So that people need to communicate in synchronicity less. Then they focus on process. I've every single CEO I've spoken to them in the last three months, I've asked exactly the same question. What percentage of your processes are defined and written down versus in people's heads? Mm -hmm. And apart from companies that deal in the regulatory environment the answer ranges between 20 and 40% is defined and written down. 60 to 80% of processes are not. Wow. Now, this seems to be okay, but actually, because it seems to be working, but actually what people don't realize is it's not working because if a process isn't documented and I have to work out how to work with you and your process, which means I have to call you to find out, which means we have to spend an hour on a Zoom call, which means you can't do an hour of work. And remote work companies require five times, three to five times the process development than a co-located environment. If you just think about holding a meeting in an office, I could lean across, 
So to Bob and Jackie, are you are you available at four o'clock, four thirty? Okay, we'll meet. It can't do that anymore. You know, I can't see that they're in the in the office. I can't see that they're working, and I can't go and talk to them and say, "Show me your diary quickly." I've got to I've got to connect with them. I've got to set up the meeting. I've got to find a time. And the best remote work companies have defined a process. In other words, there is pre-work that needs to be done. So there's a working document. And there are companies that insist that if you do not respond to the working document, you do not come to the meeting. Wow. Then, there, yeah. then there's an agenda. There's an agenda which also defines each person and what their responsibility is at the meeting. So you don't have eight people appear, appearing for a meeting where only four are needed. Then there is the actual meeting, but you often find that the pre-work, a lot of the meeting gets done anyway. The meeting is much shorter. And then there are the notes, there are the follow-ups, there, etc. But those that is documented in a lot of remote work companies because this is the way we work around here. And this is what we expect from you when you work here. So those are just three you know, really good examples of what remote work companies are doing to build a culture. And I, the way I look at culture is culture is the way we do things around here. And that covers habits, behaviors, norms, principles, communication styles, both good and bad. And so understanding that your culture is this overarching umbrella across the entire organization and touches every single part of your organization is the vital element of, of company culture, I believe. What, um, what have you seen in terms of how, you know, you said GitLab, GitHub, all these companies, how are they differentiating the experience to the employee? So how are they differentiating the, what it feels like to be a member of that company? Have you, have you looked at the GitLab uh, company manual? Uh, it's very large. Uh, yes, it's it, how many hundred, how many thousands of pages is it? Eight thousand of pages, apparently. I don't know if you printed it off. It's eight thousand pages. Eight thousand um, pages. Now that read, Brett, I haven't read it all. Have you? <laughs> no, but I've read a lot of it. Um, uh, that that it's a work of art because actually, if if imagine imagine you're joining a remote uh, a virtual company, a remote company now. Okay. What do you want to know? You want to know how the company works. You want to know what the culture is. You want to know who your teammates are. You want to know where they came from. You want to know where they are in the world. You want to know about them. You actually, you know, when, when we're onboarded, we're in this high state of anxiety. We don't know anybody. We, we haven't been able to prove if we're any good yet. We don't know if we're going to have psychological safety which to, to show that we can demonstrate we can be who we are. And if you go and read that GitLab document, it just brings you on. In you know, you just you can go and see this is my team. This is how, these are the values. This is the culture. This is how we do things around here. And so that's a very good example of of this. I'm seeing what I'm seeing with other companies is they um, they build micro communities. So you've got a whole, you've got an, an entire community, but ultimately. Micro communities make up your culture. So, so a company like Zapier have over a hundred hashtag fun Slack channels, hmm. from dog walkers to parents to red wine lovers to everything in between. And those micro communities help people find 
and connect with like-minded individuals, which helps them extend their community element. And But what invariably happens is the micro-communities overlap, so they form one big community. And then if we go back to a company like GitLab, GitLab have probably 20 different community building initiatives from um, DJ, created DJ music lists to virtual tours of your home to quizzes to um, uh, fancy dress events to making life real and building a network of connection with their, with, with their, with their people. The thing, though, is because these companies work mainly asynchronously, having a video call is not a chore. It's not a burden. They are, people are not burnt out because they're working asynchronously. They're not burnt out from Zoom fatigue. So they're happy to jump on a call and speak to a colleague. They're happy to jump on a call and speak with speak with a colleague or a video call because they haven't seen any. You know, they've they've only had one, maybe two, two today, and a third one doesn't make that much of a difference. So they they design the way they work to make it possible to work effectively in these organizations. How so? How does one think about how to maximize asynchronous work? How, what have you found has been the case? So, first of all, you need to understand what you're currently doing. And most, people, most companies are, are hugely synchronous. Um, and what that means is that even though we are now in this uh, a completely different environment, companies are still using email the way they did. They still, they're doing Zoom calls the way they were doing Zoom calls. They're not using synchronous, they're using a lot of synchronous communication, which requires presence and availability, and they're not thinking about how to transition. So companies that are, that are transitioning or doing an, a, a decent job of transitioning are using tools like Trello or Asana or forums um, and Google Docs and um, Dropbox paper to 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 move away from this. Can can this be done in a way that doesn't require a meeting? Can we have a conversation that that means that meetings are not required? And so that really is is the uh, the the crux of the matter. Is how do we move from doing face to face calls to sending an email with the right amount of context so that somebody can respond to that email in due course? Or how do we use something like um, Trello to track a project that re resulting in us not needing to, to, to have this meeting? Um, there, 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 there are lots of different ways that, that companies need to rethink this. The most important thing is actually to, to be very firm about this. If you're going to create, for example, as the example I gave around meetings, if you're going to create a new way of doing meetings, do not allow people to shortcut that. They really have to, they really, they, they, because as soon as somebody gets a, takes a shortcut and gets away with it and does a synchronous call instead of working out how to do a meeting properly, then mm -hmm. they fall back on, on bad behaviors. 
Great. I'd love to ask you now about leadership teams. Um, do leadership teams need to be on site at all together? Um, or have you found leadership teams that have been fantastic actually never being together at all? So leadership, leadership teams must not be together. And I'll explain, I'll explain why. What happens with, when leadership teams are together all the time is that's where the power happens. That's where decisions are made. And so the people who can be in the office end up in the office with the leadership teams. And the people who can't or don't want to be in the office end up remote. And the decision-making and the action happens in the office, which results in the people who are working remotely or virtually feeling like second-class citizens because they're not included in the conversation. They're experiencing work and the culture in different ways. And so my recommendation is, if you're a leader who wants to be who wants to be in an office, then spend some time in, in a co-working space. Don't spend time in your office with all the other leaders because people will gravitate around you. And it's, it's kind of okay now because people want their jobs and want to retain their jobs. But once we've, we've moved out of COVID and we're in a hybrid environment, if your people feel like, if the remote workers feel like they're in a second-class citizen status, they mm. will leave. They, right. will, they will hit the road because they don't need to be. And actually, one of the assets of the future is going to be able to talk about how well-defined and how well-working your hybrid culture is because that's what people are going to be looking for. Are, am I going to be able to work in your environment effectively because I want to be remote and I don't want to have to come into the office once a week or twice a week, whatever it is. So what does the, what do you see hybrid then looking like uh, in terms of if I, if I go on, what you just said is that leaders should not be in the office. What, what does the hybrid world look like or how, what examples have you seen that have worked? So I'm seeing, I'm seeing tons of examples. So I'm on the extreme end. I'm seeing bigger companies tell their employees, like Goldman, I think, said, you, you know, you're all coming back into the office. And I guess they probably, they're okay to lose 25% of their staff who don't want to do that. All those people can't afford to not have their jobs. But I know, I know, I know partners, husband and wife team, they've moved to Portugal. They're not going back to London. So if Goldman, if Goldman insists, they will just resign. And they don't need to work. So, you know, it's, that's, that's, it, it. but I'm seeing that's on one extreme. And then on the other extreme is everybody going remote. But in the middle, I'm seeing this multi-dimensional environment where one of my clients, the sales team, the BDRs, the business development representatives, will be in the office four days a week because they want to. The account execs, two days a week because they want to. The professional services team will come in once a month because they want to. The engineering team are fully remote. And the, the marketing team are coming in twice a week okay, on different days. Right. And so, so, so you really have no control over, but that's, that's actually, that's absolutely fine because they're going to take their office and turn it into an environment where you can, if you want to be there five days a week and work five days a week, that's fine. If you want to, if you want to use it for client meetings, that's fine. If you want to come in for team meetings, that's fine. They're going to completely change their office. And the leadership team have agreed that they will, that, that they will come in in a staggered approach. Some weeks they won't be in, other weeks they'll be in for two or three days a week, 
and they they're not gonna they're not gonna telegraph it. They will just be in as and when. But they are deliberately moving towards developing hybrid work capabilities as well. We have heard also, Brett. Uh, have you seen it? That hey, we will get together four times a year. Um, maybe we'll do it by region. Maybe we'll, you know, whatever makes sense. Um, and here's what those occasions will look like, and here's where they will be. Yet they're very deliberate, and um, to take care of any of those needs of all being together. Uh, but they're rethinking them. Total, you know, it, that's the exception. It's not the norm. No, I think I think that is well. It's it's it, that is the exception for when with virtual companies, company like Hotjar, pre-COVID they met twice a year anyway, and they gave I think it was two thousand dollars a year, but they gave each employee two thousand dollars a year to travel to go and work with a team somewhere else in the world. So a team of people uh, would go to Barcelona and go work there, and then another team would go to Helsinki and work there. Right. Um, so, so, so they they made sure that people connected as and when they could. Um, but doing doing a quarterly get together makes a lot of sense. And then doing it around um, culture, team building, getting to know new people, new joiners, and that sort of thing is is, is really critical. I re- I feel very sorry for the younger younger people joining these companies now because they really relied on osmosis. How else? How else do you? How else do you learn? Um, because now you know now you've got to somehow make this work. So so using those times, and actually one of the reasons why my client wants you know, the BDR team want to be together is because sales requires that energy. Sales requires that G up, but also the sales team are young. They, n- not a single person apart from the VP of sales is over twenty eight. So they need the vibe. They need the energy. Um, so yeah, it, it, there are different structures coming out, but there's no. I'm, I'm not seeing a single one pattern, you know, fits all. It's, it's, it's really very, very, very. Exactly. Yeah, I was, I was looking uh, for one of my clients right now is, is you know, it would be great, uh, an ideal, Brad, if there were a, actually a list of questions. You know, you would answer, you would go through a list of questions and answering these questions, you would come out with what makes the most sense for your team. For instance, uh, is everybody brand new on the team? You know, then that would be an indicator that would say we probably need to be together more, right? Um, or is everyone, let's say, do they get all their work done by themselves and there's really no, not a lot of interaction? Then those would be, let's say, engineers or attorneys that would maybe not need to come in as much. So that's, that's kind of one of the things that I'm working on as well. Yeah, we've got a, uh, we did a, um, a survey basically where we asked a bunch of questions around. Um, when would you like to come into the office? How often? What regularity? Um, and actually, it was very—it was fascinating the way uh, people, the leadership team, actually were really surprised because people don't want the office. Um, they don't need the office the way the way they needed it, and, and they were like quite shocked by it. Yeah. Um, right. But but we we did it to demonstrate that virtual working was the next step, and in. The thing about in doing virtual working correctly is because you're always going to have a percentage of your people remote, you're either going to t- turn them into second-class citizens or you're going to make sure they can work effectively. 
Exactly. Right. So right. is there any, any one question that we should have asked that we haven't asked yet, Brett? Um, I would say the one question that you could have asked um, yeah. was, what keeps you awake at night? <laughs> hey, Brett, I've got a question for you. What, what keeps you awake at night? <laughs> That is a really good question. I, 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 Thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm so bright. Uh, Mitch, so um, what keeps you awake at night is the leaders. I, I call them the ostriches, the ostrich, the ostriches. Mm-hmm. They've got their heads in the sand and they're hoping, praying on, on both bended ostrich knees to, to that we go back to them being able to lead their business the way they did pre-COVID. And I'm afraid to say that that is not going to happen. If they, if these leaders do not move and adapt to hybrid work or to fully remote in, you know, fully fully virtual, um, they're going to be in for a rather large surprise. And it's it's going to combine with what I call the popping of the false productivity bubble. So we're in a moment of false productivity now because people are working ten hours a day, twelve hours a day because they are not doing. They are not doing what they were doing. They're not drinking, partying on the tube, on the bus, in cars, getting to work. They getting out of bed, walking seven meters if they have an office. Working in their office, having lunch, working in their office, working some more, having dinner, working, working, and then going to bed. And right. as soon as people can get back out and have a good time, and go and see their friends, and go away on weekends, and go and get a hangover. And, 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 you know, a, cl- a group hangover rather than a soul hangover, um, which yeah. is soul destroying. I just think this productivity bubble is going to go pop. And at the same time, people are going to start looking around going, where is a better place for me to not be a second class citizen? Wow. That's a great question. And I'm sorry that that keeps you up at night, Brett. <laughs> All right. So to, to close this up, uh, wow. Um, you have just shared so many great things to be thinking about and start working on. Um, fantastic. Totally. So tell us, I know we can find you in Portugal, but tell us how can we find you? How can we get your books? What do we need to know to know more about what Brett is thinking? So Brett is, is, is findable at the, my website, which is culturegene.ai. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Clubhouse, which is this newfangled social network thing that I'm trying to get my head around. Um, I'm, if, if any of your uh, audience would like to reach out directly to me, they can reach me at brett at culturegene.ai. I'm a student of culture, and I love to talk to people about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, and my books are available on Amazon. Um, if you go to my website, Culture Dex Decoded, the first book is available for free download PDF, and I'll send you the link to that if you want to share, share that in the show notes. Yes, I'd love to uh, have that link uh, for our guests. And wow, uh, this has been fantastic. Yeah, um, I can't wait just, to go over it again. Yeah, I can't wait to go over it and check on everything. Brett, thank you so much. Have a great time in Portugal uh, and a great time living with a saint. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to maybe uh, revisiting this again next time. So thank you, Ginny. Thank you, Brett. And thank you for our listeners. If you've really enjoyed this episode, please pass it along, share it with your friends, and we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team 
anywhere.